This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neo Modern, and Grumpy Old Man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Ruben. How are you? I'm good. Where are you? <laughs> I was going to say, do you still recognize my voice? I, um, I'm actually in New York right now. I'm visiting the lovely Gotham City, Radio City, the Big Apple, the city with many names. Yeah, it has, that's a lot of names. I'm in Santa <laughs> Fe. I don't think we have any. Uh, do we have any other names here? No. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I, I have Anne here because uh, I see. Well, and I mean, I'm so excited. This is like the most serendipitous sort of afternoon evening that we we get to have. Not only do you have Anne, you have we have another guest as well that just sort of just happened to be. This is serendipitous. So was, we'll get to that. I'm sure it was a surprising thing. Well, Anne Anne came by. So this is Anne Kelly for, for those of you who are not watching on video because there, there is no video really. Okay, so Anne uh, is at PhotoEye, which is the one of the leading photo gallery and and art book shops in well in the country but also in santa fe both santa fe and the country mm -hmm. and uh she came by to look at the the ruben collection and hang out here and um kind of finish up the weekend say hi so she was over and and then you were you were like or in new york and it was like we were going to talk today and we we're like hey let's this is how parties happen right let's have a party let's have yeah. Exactly. Anne and, and you and me, we can hang out and have a glass of wine. And then we thought, are there any artists we would like to talk to that would be fun? Would make it even more fun? And Anne said, I got an idea. And so, Anne, would you like to introduce our guest? Well, this, this is Mr. Edward Bateman that we have here, who was amazing enough to join us with about, what, five minutes five of... Minutes. Um, of a prep time. Quite a social life, Ed. I'm, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get out of bed for this. <laughs> I'm a night Thank owl. you. Thank you for being out of bed and joining us on the show. So, um, well, I, I had not seen your work till just recently, but I got to say, I was, I was blown away. I, I, can I try to describe what I saw? Yes. I, I believe what I was looking at was a, like you had made a 3D printed model of Yosemite and then put a camera into it as if you're doing landscapes of Yosemite. So they have this kind of classic Yosemite landscape and Ansel Adams sort of vibe, but they're 3D printed models. So you've got the printing exit structure. Like I, I laughed out loud. I don't know. It just was a really delightful. Clouds. Yeah. Am I, did I get that? And clouds? Yeah. I don't even know how you do, how did you do clouds? Oh, With a small fog machine. Yeah, a fog machine, and some of the lights from a window, and others from microscope lighting. <laughs> it was kind of my COVID project in a lot of ways, since everything was locked down. Uh, I decided, oh, this is the perfect time to become a landscape photographer. Wow, never inspired <laughs> to. And where are you in real life? If you looked out your window, where are you? I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. And yes, I can see mountains from where I live. We're, you know, yeah. in a big, you know, valley with mountains all around. So plenty of national parks in my area, but I I make my own. That's so cool. And what 
I mean, Suzanne, please jump in if, if something strikes you, but I just like, how did you come to this? What were you doing in the moments before this started? What was that? Were you making 3D things anyway? Or Oh, I was. And I figured there, I got a 3D printer because a lot of my work involved 3D modeling before, like the effects they make in the, you know, the motion picture industry. Are you an effects, so, motion picture effects dude? Well, not really. I'm a, I'm a photo professor, hmm. but I've always liked to, I don't know, we'll say cheat a little bit. I don't really consider it cheating, but what? Kind of fabricating the images. And uh, so I just felt like, you know, with, with that technology, I could simulate the entire photographic process, but inside of a camera. And so if there was something that I needed, I could, you know, you know, I don't know, robots. If I needed robots, I could make robots, you know, for the 19th century. You're a professor at University of Utah? That's correct, yeah. What do you profess? What do you profess? Uh, photography and digital imaging. Well, that, what, a, I mean, University uh -huh. of Utah, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the, the history of computer graphics really started at the University oh. of Utah. Ed Catmull and yeah. John Warnock and the people who are responsible for our great, computer industry all came out of that school. So that's a quite a distinguished place to be. Yeah, so you know about the University of Utah teapot, it sounds like. I do, I do. It's been distorted. Strange bit of yeah. trivia. <laughs> so, wow, so that's where you are. Okay, so so before you were making 3D models and shooting them like that, what, what kind of photography interested you the most? Like, what were you doing? Huh, I mean, I've been doing things sort of in that direction for probably like 25 years. Yeah. Uh, but I certainly, you know, was doing, you know, I don't know, kind of odd things, you know, a little bit before where I could. Uh, I've been involved with the computer since probably around 1984 when they were fairly exotic machines. Mm -hmm. One was a quarter of a million dollars in its day. I also had access to what was a computer controlled animation stand to make images. I mean, this was an old effects machine. But, uh, my, I think my photos have always been a little bit quirky. I think it dates back in a lot of ways uh, to being a kid. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm laughing when you said the, the, your photos are quirky. Uh, you have a kind of quirky demeanor to you, I must say. I mean, looking at you, you I, I'm not surprised that your photos no. are a little quirky. I mean, <laughs> normally I don't have a beard, but I will oh. say, wink. <laughs> I've been doing some time traveling back to the 19th century and it helps me blend in. <laughs> okay, good. good planning. Good planning. Oh, yeah. Like safety not guaranteed. <laughs> well, kind of. And it, it's raised kind of an interesting problem right now if anybody wants to brainstorm. But uh, anyway, I don't know. I don't know how quickly I should digress from things. I'm like I'm quite curious. Let's come back to that. Uh, we so the, uh, at the beginning, Ruben was talking about the photography that that um, Anne had sort of shared with us that like led us into even seeing who you are. And there are these again, you're like print, you're 3D printing the landscapes of Yosemite and Half Dome, and you're you're photographing them. I've read on your kitchen table. Is that correct? It's true. Yeah. So, I mean, so very literally, to make ginger beer, and you like learn to make mountains. Uh, yeah. And like I said, I'd never wanted to be a landscape photographer. It kind of, kind of bored me, but it's much more fun at home. Did you make other landscapes besides Yosemite? 
Uh, after Yosemite, I spread out to one, the mountains in my area. I mean, I have one mountain called Mount Olympus here in Salt Lake City. It's my mountain. But also, uh, you know, many of the national parks here in my own state. Hmm. You created that ship rock. Oh, oh yeah. Uh -huh. That's technically in New Mexico. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll take mm -hmm. that. We'll yes. take that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, um, and I love that image because some of the lights I have are really strange, but sometimes the fog machine clouds would do things that real clouds would do. <laughs> Amazing. And because they look so real. I mean, like, so I'm looking at one of them right now and it's actually, it's the Capitol Reef Factory Butte number 67. Oh, yeah. And it has this, on one side you have these, it's almost like a cool, like, icy white light and then there's like this golden um almost like light amber that kind of comes into the center and you it just it actually feels real and magical almost like the sun is kind of cutting through a winter storm but the yeah the clouds are like the the it looks and it looks so cool and incredible like how long did you have to take that picture 67 times is that why it's called oh. number 67 well, actually more than 67, because really? at that scale, the clouds change so quickly. Yeah. You know, in real life, clouds change at the leisurely pace. But uh, at that scale, in instance, it's, it's, you know, changing. So one of my favorite stories is, is Ed, we were working on an online exhibition of the Yosemite work. And, and Ed was finishing up some images. And like we discussed, he was shooting this from the kitchen table, but because he was using natural light, that, that was still a factor. So we had this conversation of, well, the light's just not right today. I'm <laughs> like a landscape photographer. Like, exactly, but, but it was true. It, it just wasn't the day to shoot because the light wasn't right, even though it was this quote unquote controlled environment. So, oh, I love that. And that's so good. So were you, were you able to see, do you, were you able to see like the models live or were you guys talking, like speak, talking about it remotely? Were you in the same we place? We were talking about it remotely. I couldn't see what was happening, but, but I could understand what was happening. Yeah. Just crack. Have you ever tried to do non geological stuff like urban environments that you could move into mm. urban landscapes? I haven't, although I've had some initial experiments where I've taken the landscapes of kind of well-known places. I've made some so far of Paris and New York, just using the geographical data, but no mountains or buildings. So it's almost this plain landscape devoid of, you know, of these, of these things, you know, there's the river structures, um, but nothing I've finished on that yet. Interesting. Uh, man, it's just such a strange thing. I mean, it also reminds, it, it, it almost feels like the, uh, like a computer graphic, you know, polygons in a weird way. You've made an object and you take it. It's not how you would think that would go. Like you think it would be the 3D model you made in the computer and, and it stayed there. Like that you did the, the imaging in the computer, but to make a computer, object take it out of the computer into the 3d space and then photograph it back into i mean you can understand that it's interesting well and i had done that before 
still kind of do it with the history of photography. So if you remember Dick Gare's you know, Boulevard de Tom, you know, shoeshine guy image, mm-hmm. I extracted the shoeshiner from that. You know, he started out as an object, extracted from that, turned him back into an object, you know, essentially. So I could, and also with, say, a Moybridge horse. But it's kind of funny. And then my buddy, the daguerreotypist, you know, Ben Don, turned my object back into a daguerreotype. <laughs> so it went full circle. And and then you and, should scan that thing, get it into a computer. Yeah. 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 And has a, a facsimile of a daguerreotype I recently, you know, discovered. So can you talk, I'm curious, you talked about getting into computers in 1984. And that was sort of obviously a catalyst for lots of different explorations. But can you talk a little bit more about just your background and your progression on how you kind of how you got to photographing mountains on your kitchen table? Well, I don't know how far back you want to go. I'll try to about 84. Let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) I might go something that might be really telling probably when i was you know seven eight nine ten i was fascinated by flying saucers and those books with flying saucers and always the best part was the photographs in them yeah and i would stare at these photographs thinking you know are these real are these not if these are real can i figure out how they work is there enough clues to build my own anti-gravity machine <laughs> and i think that and you know i even made a few fake you know, UFO shots as a kid. And I think that really became kind of a focus for me. One of the things I love about photography is that it always gives you almost enough to really tease you. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's kind of as close to the truth as maybe anything we can make, but we know it's not. It never tells you the full story. It never tells you everything you need to know. It always just sort of, I don't know, at least for me, you know, the best ones sit there and kind of tease you a little bit with what you don't know and what's not there. And so I think that kind of inspired my direction, you know, through photography for a long time. I was always interested in maybe constructing the image that you can't see. I was interested in the photographs that you couldn't, you know, of things that you couldn't see. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean the photography or the photographs you couldn't see? Well, I'll just talk about some other series, you know, for example. So I have a whole series of, it's part of a history nobody knows, wink, uh, 19th century automatons. Uh, hmm. One of the key lines from that is that, you know, for the first time in human history, objects of our own creation were looking back at us. And in some ways, that's a metaphor for the camera. You know, we made this device as well as these, you know, fictional robots. You know, we made this device, this camera that could see us. I mean, you know, how amazing is that? Then that, you know, leads to spirit photography and its history. And my depiction of a little known aspect of it, of these inventors who knew that there was enough fraud involved with Mumler and his spirit photography, you know, project, but they built other devices, other technologies, trying to find a technological solution to improving life after death. Because so, they believed it or because they were trying to create oh, a, a false image? Um, they believed it or hoped in it. 
And this is right after this American Civil War when so many people had died. Oh, yeah. People wanted some proof that maybe their loved ones, you know, were still present. Hmm. And the spiritualist movement had taken on, you know, within a decade of when photography was invented. And it liked the idea that, oh, don't, you don't have to just sort of trust with faith those religious leaders. Get proof and experience for yourself. You know, hold a seance. And so they were really big in finding, you know, like proof of some kind of, you know, concrete way, like technology, like the camera, Mm -hmm. to make spirits seen or seem to be real. It makes me think of, I I don't want to get derailed on this side tangent, but when you, when you're able to compare history to kind of like where we were then and with that mindset and how we thought about it, that it was this automaton that like looked back at us and could see us. It sort of makes me think of what is happening now where you have, I don't know if you've heard about the, um, like the widow who basically created this sort of like chat bot of her husband that was passed away so that she could kind of continue to talk to him and engage with him and they basically took all of the chats and texts and messages that he'd ever sent her and then like recreated kind of that personality so that she was she's able to like you know interact but it makes me feel like we are always so desperate to sort of make sure that life continue you know that life continues that we have like continued engagement and like whatever the newest technology is is like can we see it in this can we see it in this can we see it in this yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the Mumbler, the, the what, the vintage ones, you know, they were patently frauds, but a photograph really does let us see the dead again, you know, not yeah, in some floating fair way, really yeah. but, you know, in a way that has a strange, tangible presence, I think. And who is Mumbler? I, I don't know oh. who that is. William Mumbler was this... Uh, started out as an engraver and this is in i'm trying to remember is it boston where harvard is mm-hmm. cambridge yeah yeah so he's in that area anyway what he's an engraver by trade there's this you know kind of cute lady a few doors down from his shop who does photography so he decides to learn photography he's working on his own at least this is the story and kind of He's standing in a picture, does a little self-portrait, and there's a ghost appearing in the image with him. Word gets out, and so he becomes, quote, a spirit photographer. Um, The the truth of the story is that, you know, he did have to leave Boston, you know, when one of the ghosts appeared to be a person that was still alive that lived in the town. He hightailed it up to New York, started his business again. I mean, even... The widow of Abraham Lincoln went and got her picture taken, um, but through various routes, a big show trial took place. He was put on trial with people like P.T. Barnum and others testifying against him that this but was P.T. Barnum part like 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 uh, was was against him. Are you oh, yeah. like, of all people? <laughs> oh yeah, he was defrauding people, other people like doctors and lawyers testified for him (laughs) that you know this was a picture of my departed wife or son that's like a great historic background for a fun movie of some kind oh yeah has a film telling the story it's interesting okay and so i've totally derailed us but i'm now i'm I'm like this is great (laughs) i'll just finish that with by saying you know it was you know front page news 
uh, they demonstrated, you know, in the trial, like 10 ways that you could make images like this. Nobody had seen him use any of those images. So he was acquitted. <laughs> wow. I'm looking at your science rends the veil. That's cool. Did you put, you? it says here that there's the, the letter, the letters on the back spell out Rosabelle, believe? Correct. Now you, what, explain that. It's not in the photos. It's on the back, reverse of the oh. photos. No, inside each photo is a letter. If you look carefully in sequence, an R, an O, an S, you know, to spell out. Hid, hidden somewhere in the picture? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did, and you did this? You hid Yeah. There? Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, the, most of the people are, you know, authentic to the time period, but their devices are made you know, <laughs> by me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the crazy inventor behind their madness. It, it has a kind of a steampunk feeling. Yeah. Like, so what, um, they look like historic photos, and yet there's these ghostly apparitions that appear in them in various ways, I, I presume. And it's a set of them. I guess we're on the PhotoEye website. I'm looking at this. It's super cool. It's like a, it's a box set of uh, like baseball cards, maybe. But they're they're a little big. They're more cabinet card size. That's cool. I like that you and you invented all of the weird equipment that's well. On I mean, literally, yes, although I will claim to have just, you know, compiled this collection of, of work. I wish we had this physical object here. We have one at the gallery. So one of these? The box? The, the portfolio yeah, I'd kind of like to see that. Yes. We're just looking at the citation page on the website. Yeah, I, I that's kind of that neat. <laughs> so how big is it, Anne? Like, what is the, the box? Is, is it like, um, I can't, I can't, it's like two feet by, oh, it's much smaller. Yeah. Do you know? It's like what five by seven ish? Yeah, probably about that. Mm -hmm. Although there are exhibition prints. I mean, this oh. has traveled a certain amount. The full set was in Madrid, Spain, in a show that if I remember, I think 150, 157,000 people went through this show. That would be a lot of people. It was things like that. Oh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they it, it travels, but there's yeah, exhibition print sized these two. That's cool. Um, and I'll, yeah. So, so and I say, oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I mean, I'm meandering here, but I'm curious what we asked um, often our guests, what photography do you have up on the walls of your home? Like, what do you choose to actually have up? Not of your own, not of your own. We always do that. But like, who inspires you that you'd like to see all the time? What's up? Anyone we'd know? Yeah, one definitely one kind of, I'll say near and dear to our heart. We should talk about i have a jerry ulsman up right now oh. i mean not up right now but i always have and i know that oh, he's an important part of your life i mean in the world yeah when yeah. i knew that we were going to connect i had a feeling this topic was going to come up i just oh i feel so bad about his passing i just think he was an amazing person and you know my shortcut version of you is you know the guy who you know huge fan of jerry ulsman but, but kind of was more of an advocate for straight photography. I don't know where you came out on that debate, the two of you. I like what he does. I mean, I like the art form 
the dance in the dark room of making each image, whether you're doing Ansel Adams version or Jerry Ullsman's version, there's this performance you're doing in the dark room, which I think is cool. Like I, I liked that. And when I was in a dark room, I got it. I got that that was, I was moving around. And did, when I'd watch people who just did a shot and they'd expose the paper, then they'd move it through the deck doll and stuff. I always thought like, that's all you're doing? You know, it's like, that's hardly even photography. So <laughs> that was, but as technology came up, um, I didn't want to go the Photoshop route. I, I wasn't interested in, in like what Maggie Taylor was doing. I, I thought that's its own, it's its own thing. I, I liked the playing around in the darkroom, but I came to discover straight photography, just the more Cartier-Bresson, you know, cortege way of just looking at the world or Elliot Erwitt in particular, just seeing the world in these kind of fun ways. And so I started just practicing straight photography at that point much more and kind of left the, 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 the magical stuff, the, which was, I guess it was just getting so easy for people to do the magical, uh, fantastical kinds of imaging. But Ruben, you, you still appreciate it. You just, I think this is where you and I differ is like, you, you don't, you just don't see it as like photography. You see it as right. art and as it is, as creation. Yeah. 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 Um, it's like encaustic. It's like uh, sculpture. It's, it's like a cool thing that people do. I love graphic design. I love that people can put things together and come up with an idea and execute it. Like that is a cool thing. It's just not photography to me. It's a different art form. To me, I end up being kind of a classic, uh, you know, straight photography snob. Like I got, it, it goes back to when the modernists were like, you know, it's enough to do what a camera does. That's hard. <laughs> and to capture a moment beautifully and ha that has all this, you know, meaning to it that you still, you're still doing it, but you're just doing it with what you're seeing out there. I felt like that was enough for me and not the same as graphic, the graphical designs of, setting cool things up. And so, Edward, can I ask just a, oh, sorry. And can I read Ed is fine for this group. Oh, Ed, okay. Yeah. Um, so, Ed, when you're creating things, are you, you're actually sort of like you have a vision and then you're making them and you're creating them physically and then you're photographing them? Is that the, is that the process? Or can you talk a little bit about your process and how you create, you have this idea with computer imagery and this background in making things and where it has, where you are now, like how does it work? Oh, I mean, sometimes it goes that direction. Usually, I have some idea, and it's mm -hmm. usually a pretty vague idea. And <laughs> I try it out for a while. I mean, yeah. my one of my mentors said, "You can't do one of anything. You have to do at least three before you start to understand it." Mm. Ooh, so some of these turn great. into projects. So some are primarily in the computer. You know, kind of start and stop in there. Some of the more recent ones have been, you know, making, you know, objects in the computer that then become physical objects that I rephotograph again. Or I'll add that some have even been, you know, purely darkroom projects for the most part, like this series of leaves that I've done that started with the question, and this is all, you know, a chemical darkroom process, you know, how leaves gather sunlight and store it in their structures. Uh, Start with the question, can I take a leaf, put it in against light-sensitive photographic paper in the dark room, leave it in the dark for a couple of weeks, enough for the, you know, 
light to leak back out and expose it well, and then awesome. develop it. So it had been exposed by light. And so this is some ways where I may be seeing, you know, these are leaves dying. This takes us back again to Ed, that's super spirit cool. photography. Holy this is the life and light leaking out of these leaves. Hold on, I gotta send this to Suzanne. You gotta see this, Suzanne. It reminds me, remember Carillion photography and the mat with their- I do. And like, they're showing the energy and I never really got the, wasn't sure whether they were making this up or not. It seemed interesting to me, but you've got kind of the magic feeling of that in this. I'm sorry, Suzanne, you gotta see this. Well, um, well, and Ed, from what I recall, you mentioned when you started this project, you it was just a theory that this would work, that the light stored within the leaf by means of photosynthesis would store enough light to actually expose light sensitive paper. No, it's true. And, you know, so you I were answering a, little... a question that you had and yeah. Uh, yeah. And I admit so to you a little, didn't know it would, you didn't know it would work. Like what Anne's saying is like it, this was just, a, it was a hypothesis and you tested it and then it worked. How long did you have to let it sit there? Exactly. And that I didn't know at first. I mean, I was going to be a short period of time, but I think the first one ended up being like six weeks because I got busy and I couldn't get back out <laughs> to develop it. <laughs> wow. And I mean, I know enough about photochemistry and that stuff that I knew literally you know, what was happening. I knew that acids could chemically expose photographic paper. And so this was kind of going on a hunch that stuff would ooze out of the leaves. So the, the light part might be a little bit of poetry, but, you know, on the other hand, those chemicals within the plant are coming from, you know, the sunlight. No, it's poetic. So I knew acidic things would come out and there's sometimes these tree-like structures that branch off from some and for all I know that might be, you know, mold. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's the rare photograph made in the dark. Well, without okay. lenses. Photographs are made in the dark room, but <laughs> yeah. in this case. Well, we'll say made without light or lenses. Yes, exactly. That's beautiful. I mean, really think about where man, man Ray starts this and like where you've taken it to. Like it's a totally cool, different place. Like you didn't think you could go anywhere from sticking your scissors in the glass on the paper, but. Uh, <laughs> It's really nice. And what was the biggest surprise? Oh, oh, no, I was just going to ask, like, what was the big, so you came back to this on this first one, uh, six weeks, and you weren't able to get back around. And then like that first one worked. And then after that, you tried it again. What was kind of like the continued surprise or the biggest surprise? Like, was there a particular image that you're just like, whoa? Mm. Well, in some ways, <laughs> it was more like, you know, like most things. Like, it was more of the frustrations. Really? Uh, why the frustration? Part of it was finding what the right timing was. Too short, nothing happens. Too long, the sugars in the plants have glue everything together and it all becomes a mess. You know, the paper is glued to the glass of the contact print frame and it tears. Wow. So in some ways, the biggest surprise was that maybe I didn't have to always use the whole leaf. Maybe I could, you know, crop. I could choose an area. And that's when I discovered also that some of the really cool details were really teeny tiny and needed to be, you know, scanned and enlarged to be able to see them. Yeah. There's a picture that I grew up with in some science, whatever. And it's a, it was, a, it was this Carillion photography, but the, sh the shot was a leaf that had been cut 
And then they did the photography and you still had the outline of the part of the leaf that was gone. And I remember thinking like, is that real? That's crazy. How could it know? <laughs> no, I remember that shot very well myself. Do you? You know, another one of those, you know, like a kid, those flying saucer shots. Mm-hmm. Is this real? Is it not? Right. Teasing us with this incomplete yeah, story. I remember that stuff. Yeah. Interesting. I am thrilled to meet, you know, both of you. Well, well I'm ex- super excited by your work and it's fun to meet you too. Of course, um, I think, Suzanne, we should probably start winding up. I don't remember how we... Oh, I, I was like, I'm nowhere near done. <laughs> and what are you doing in New York? I, was, I have so many questions. Um, okay, so okay. I want, so one of the things actually I find especially magical is that just this idea that you took something that was alive and that you had a hypothesis that this leaf, because it had captured energy while it was, you know, around and kicking, that it would like release that. This is morbid, but has there ever, have you tried anything with like anything else besides like, Uh I'm not saying humans, but I'm just like, is like, has that ever been (laughs) like, is there, I don't know. I'm just, I'm so curious. Like what would happen? Like what would be the energy released or a dead bird? You want to put a dead bird? I was going to try a piece of prosciutto. (laughs) And I think I could get some, I just haven't done it yet. But I think it might be interesting. That's the best answer ever. In some ways, it's based on something that I read in a Jean-Funk Huberta book. He's one of my photo heroes about, uh, you know, Jorge Luis Borges, you know, the writer who said that an artist creates not just sort of his descendants, but also creates his predecessors. Hmm. Wow. And so that's what kind of inspired this for me to take these, you know, mid-century, you know, 20th century photographers and create their predecessors, you know, quite literally, but using, you know, old photographs. I, I got to say, it's interesting to me how both you and Maggie find these pieces of work from other eras of photography and absorb them and then put them back out in this other kind of context. And both of you do do that work. And of course, what you're producing is so radically different from each other, but it's still the, the way of looking at the past of photography and always sort of combing through it to reabsorb it. Uh, I don't know, just noticing that. I mean, I'm not real familiar with your work, but I will look at more of it and, and maybe, I don't know. Actually, I could do that online. Can I do that online? You can. All right, that's cool. And I, I have a question for you. Yes. So when you write about photography, you've really clearly defined pure photography versus other types mm-hmm. of photography. So I'm I'm wondering where Ed's work fits into I, your various oh, definitions. I, it, from what I can tell, it. It's certainly more like a lot of the fine art photographers who are constructing these scenes for our, to, to tell a story they want to tell. And I, I wouldn't call it pure photography. I would, I would certainly put him in the category with Jerry and Maggie, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is a great place to be. I would love to be in, the, <laughs> in this group. Um, I, I would love to be in that group. Sure, but, but also <laughs> photographers in that group. Irving Penn is in that group. It's like people who create things for uh, us to take in and you know i make no distinction between post-production and pre-production of setting something up the way you want it all of those are this kind of 
uh, construction in the photographic arts. So that's where I would put you. If, if, does that feel right? Is that okay to be there? Oh, and, and I'll just say that I think both paths have been there from the beginning of photography, that it is the direct nature of photography. My favorite example is, you know, Bayard's, I love this irony, self-portrait as a drowned man. <laughs> I mean, the dead do not make self-portraits. I mean, this <laughs> is from 1840. And some have argued that, I mean, this was even going back to the time that, you know, that Daguerre, you know, Boulevard de Tom picture, the guy getting the shoe shined was constructed. He knew there weren't people there. He chose to have somebody, you know, a flunky, go out and physically stand there to mm -hmm. be depicted. And I don't, so, and it's not black and white. I don't have, uh, I, I feel like oh, yeah. it's, uh -huh. there's a continuum, of course, because the photograph is always this fabrication, it's a continuum of, of ways we allow ourselves to manipulate it from very, very journalistic light touch of Cartier-Bresson to Irving Penn talking to people and getting them to stop moving or Duano setting, sending an actor into the street to, to, you know, it's still, he still caught the moment, but it was a moment he had some control over and, and all the way to Jerry and, and Maggie and even you, where you're deciding what you want in frame and to tell your story. And I, and I think all of them are okay. And I think every photographer kind of finds their place of comfort somehow it's like uh it's, it's like the joke that anyone driving faster than you is a maniac and anyone driving slower than you is an idiot and that's always the case yeah <laughs> um and that's and that's how i feel about the authenticity of photos anyone manipulating it more than you is is faking it and anyone doing less than you is like old nostalgic old school or something i don't know well put. I'll just add that I think history is as malleable as any other material an artist works with. Ooh. Once again, where's the wine? Okay. I agree. <laughs> I would agree with that. So Ed, I, have, I have three questions. Um, one, you are a man of many quotes. And so is there, <laughs> is there a quote that you hold up as your favorite or as almost maybe like a mantra? quote by me or from somebody else that goes through my mind i will take either oh <laughs> that's the kind of question that makes one's mind instantly go blank isn't it okay I so do was, we, we, i think it was i, I mean, who once said <laughs> 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 and i'm paraphrasing myself <laughs> i mean there's uh, one on the tip of my tongue but uh but I can't think of it for the second. I'll well, think of it when I'm not. We'll come back it. to it. So my next question is, where do you find inspiration when you find you have none? I haven't had that problem ever. I have too many ideas. Oh, that's great. Everything connects with everything else. And I follow these chains of, you know, possibilities. So you have this endless checklist of like, oh, okay, I have to get to this. And then I have to get to this. How do you reprioritize what you want to work on next? I kind of dig in. A few years, I can, I can attest that that is true. There's projects <laughs> that have not even come up. And I'm sure projects I don't even know about. Mm -hmm. And like I said, and it all kind of starts with questions. And my mentor said, you have to make three of anything. And sometimes it's the times or like, oh, you get really excited about something and you follow that line forward while everything else waits a little patiently and you sneak moments in on. So I have lots of fingers and lots of pies. 
I don't like pie that much, so I guess I don't like that metaphor. I like pie, but that doesn't really help, does it? No, <laughs> no I'm putting your was... fingers on it. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead, go ahead, Ed. Oh, but uh, I mean, oh, I just, I'm so curious. I like to think in both senses of the word. Uh, and, oh, I just, I want to know, you know, every, I mean, I sometimes I wake up with, crazy questions in my head such as i mean this was real from a week ago is mickey mouse real <laughs> i mean he has government protection you know <laughs> i mean just sometimes i love a good question think? almost what well yeah what do you think well i think i could make a case for real now i mean he's as real as my car we could say maybe you'd say he's authentic is he non-fungible <laughs> <laughs> oh I like that. Mm, I see where your mind's going here, Suzanne. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it's just so many questions and they photo connects in with almost everything. It's hard to find something that photography doesn't connect with. That's true. And I'm just willing to sort of dig in and play with anything that kind of makes me, I don't know, smile and giggle. I've got strange chemical experiments going on right now, although I should be grading. Um, <laughs> you know, 3D modeling things, you know, stuff, you know, that's, it, you know, I could kind of go on, you know, making 3D objects specifically to be semi-contact printed with cyanotypes, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you make an object to, you know, to fit into that process? A small book in the form of a, uh, daguerreotype you know union case i, I think a curious mind done like, this summer. Yeah, yeah oh i think a curious mind is just the most incredible thing so all of these are all of your projects that you planned for this summer <laughs> we'll just say some of them actually i hope to get a bunch done that's that's awesome i really i can't wait to see and we're going to go to your gallery and i can't wait to see all of this work uh in fruition <laughs> in the show notes for uh, they have a new thing at the photo eye site which lets you see it's kind of a online gallery i guess that's exactly what it is mm -hmm. and um it lets you see the pictures very clearly in nice ways it's a it's a nice presentation so we'll put links in there and you can kind of uh explore if you like it, I, I might do that for my own stuff too. And then I, I do have one last question, Ed. Um, we do ask all our guests, if you could describe your work in one word, what would you say? What word would you use? Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic answer. That's <laughs> so great. That's right up there with prosciutto. Here's my prosciutto. In, in I may have one. Possible quote. And I do have prosciutto in the fridge. It's just, you know, a matter of time and not eating it. <laughs> you got to not eat it before you do the pictures. That's always, that's and, been a problem yeah. with all this all the way back to the fruit bowl, mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah. With the still lifes. Oh, I started a still life, but then I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll start again. So I'll start again. But anyway, just, you know, kind of a quote, I thought of one that's, Creativity is caring enough about what you do that you're willing to take risks. Oof. Maybe I'll say that again because I kind of think that creativity is caring enough about what you do that you're willing to take risks. I love that. So that might be, you know, I don't know, one of the Ed quotes that's in my head, one that I sometimes share with my students that, you know, they rapidly forget. 
No, they don't. I bet. I bet you they will be quoting you for years. That's a really good one. <laughs> I, I, I quote one of my mentors as well, and it's if you can't conceal, reveal, and it's it is one of the things that it, it helps me make so many decisions in my life. I wondered where that came from. I, I, I now use that when I talk to students. Randall Wilson, Randall Wilson, professor at SciArc and Art Center. Okay, we can start crediting that guy. I will. <laughs> he's, he's pretty incredible. All right. Randall Wilson? Randall Wilson. Oh, yeah, I, I have to write that down. <laughs> it's really great, right? <laughs> well, I've written down what you, yeah. you've said as well. Creativity is caring enough about what you do that you're willing to take risks. Oh, she Ed said nice. She, that was nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to toss in real quick. I was at Photo Alliance's portfolio review last month and I ran into one of Ed's former students. I don't even, it just somehow came up in conversation. Maybe he said Salt Lake, but you changed that guy's life so much. He just, your name came up and he was just glowing and you made that's all the difference in that one person's life. So I can't imagine all of the students over time. So that's so cool. On, on top of the work, the personal work you're doing, the, the work with the students is huge too. Why? Well, and I hope we can introduce a lot of people to what you're up to. I think it deserves to be seen and uh, we'll do our part. For all you people watching this, go check out our, our show notes and go look at his work. And Ed, thank you for joining us. You know, it's oh. a short notice. <laughs> yeah. And thank you. Cause I'd heard you two converse and it was almost like getting to be a part of you. But it's like, Oh, I wish I could like hang out and just talk to people. <laughs> so it's so incredible to actually, you know, get to do it. I mean, I'd actually Googled you. So I kind of knew what you looked like. You know, <laughs> so I knew what, uh, you know, who I'd be, you know, talking with. I mean, this is before today. And so, Oh, I just, I've loved your photo conversations, you know, just because they're, they're real. Oh, that's so cool to hear. Sometimes we're just like sitting in a closet talking to nobody and you're not really <laughs> sure what the it's going out to. <laughs> and we can't wait to have you back. And honestly, I, I would love to actually dive into more of even just like the sort of like the details of, and the surprises of all of the things that you work on. Cause I think with every, you have so many creative projects sort of in the creative queue, if you will, that I think the idea of being able to get a little sneak peek of what's in your head and what what's fascinating you at this particular moment um, is just for, will be endlessly exciting. So thank you so much. I'd love to share. And I need to get both of you your own minor white rabbits. I would love that. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> and knows exactly what I mean. I can't resist a pun. All right. Well, I've loved this so very, very much, but it is time that we wrap it up. Our show is recorded and produced in New York uh, and Santa Fe. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos and post comments. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. We get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. So if you know someone who might get something from us, please send them a link. Thanks to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.